Welcome to Dense in the Darkness, the monthly podcast of the Northeast Collaborative. We're a new church network that empowers pastors to lead and launch healthy churches in Northeast America. I'm your host, Tim Madeira from WRGN Radio, here with NEC's Executive Director, Dan Nichols. This month, we have another Dan, Dan Kimball, with us. Dan, tell us a little bit about why you wanted to have Dan Kimball with us on the podcast today. Yeah, absolutely. So Dan and I met briefly at a conference in Austin, Texas, way back in 2015. And I was asked to come out there to give a a brief story about a sex billboard that went viral in 2014. But Dan Kimball was the main speaker. And I remember this killer workshop where he passed out atheist children's Bibles, and talked about how most of the church growth in America was really de-churched people getting rechurched rather than people far from God experiencing the gospel for the first time. So it was a great workshop, and I remember he just was saying a lot of things that I had been either thinking or saying, and I just resonated with it so much that I saw he wrote this new book called How Not to Read the Bible, Picked it up, really loved it, and I really appreciate how Dan loves to build authentic, genuine relationships with people who have not met Jesus personally yet. And so, uh, really glad that uh, you're taking the time with us today, Dan. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, really glad to have Dan Kimball as a part of the podcast today. And I've got his book here in my hand, How Not to read the Bible. I'm going to read the subtitle too, so our listeners kind of know what the subtitle is. Making sense of the anti-woman, anti-science, pro-violence, pro-slavery, and other crazy sounding parts of scripture. And with that subtitle, Dan, why don't you introduce yourself and give an introduction of your personal story as well, and maybe people will get a better insight of what this book is about. Yeah, uh, my personal story is I'm a fellow back east, uh, Born and raised in New Jersey, a uh, person up in Paramus, New Jersey. So uh, somewhat close to you. I know I've been in your area before, but I was uh, raised there and I was not a Christian. I would have said I probably believe in God. I didn't have any, I wasn't an atheist or anything. It was kind of like, um, you know, most people at the time probably would have said there's God. And uh, it wasn't until I went to Colorado State University and I had a good upbringing and everything. And, and and I'm so, I'll say this up front, I'll probably want to say it again. I'm so thrilled of what you're doing there and for the network that you have there. And uh, especially back east, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, you know, upstate New York, uh, mm. all, New Hampshire, all of those states are, uh, I, I don't want to say California has it easy because we have a whole lot of other things. <laughs> but you are truly a mission field there, yes. you know, and and so I'm so grateful of what you're doing. And so any of you that are listening to this that are lead in churches, planting churches or, or, uh, you know, part of a church, you know, I'm, I'm, I thank the Lord Jesus that you were there serving him in that mm. area and mm. hang in there because it's not easy. Um, I know that for sure. Um, so back to my story was I moved from New Jersey, went to Colorado state university and I never had, none of my friends were Christian. My parents weren't like saying, you know, sh- you should read a Bible. And I just think I was struck by, you know, when you get into your young adult years, which we all start questioning things, you know, where'd we come from, what's going on and what's your identity. I was, I had a, uh, um, at the Colorado State, they had at the beginning of every semester, they have tables that are out for the different college clubs and campus clubs and groups. Mm-hmm. And one was some Christian club. And I remember looking at the little pamphlet they had. 
And one of them said something about Jesus being the only way to God. And for whatever reason, I remember looking at that, and I'm like, I didn't realize Christians believed that. And that didn't, it stuck in my mind and heart simply because I'm like, does that mean everybody else is wrong? Like, I didn't think about it too much. But at that point, I think because I love asking questions, I just began exploring, is this what Christians really believe? Which um, I didn't identify with any campus group. I tried, um, didn't fit in, tried a local church. At the time, there were nothing like churches today and didn't fit in. And I moved to England playing in a band. Uh, I was in a punk and rockabilly band after graduated. We went over to England, played over nice. for a year. And there I met an 82-year-old pastor. I was walking by a little church, and the guy just said, um, there's a little sign, sandwich board sign outside, handwritten, said Bible study inside. And I'm just peeked in. It was just one of these, like, I wonder what it is. And there's four elderly people. And, and I would have said, like, oops, I'm getting out of here. Sorry. And the guy just like, here for the study. And he said it so nicely. I'm like, okay. And I sat down with him and my life was changed because that guy was intelligent. He didn't judge me. He, um, he was able to answer questions. And then I ended up putting faith in Jesus. And then um, through this tiny little elderly church, you know, so it's kind of like, how do you reach a, a punk rocker in London? It's like, have a tiny little elderly church playing hymn, hymn music, you know. It's the Spirit of God <laughs> uses different things. Amen. Uh, it's not just tricks and music and yes. all that stuff that we often depend on. And I went to California because the bass player in our band got a job in San Jose, came out here, looked up in a phone book. Uh, the one I understood was Santa Cruz Bible Church because it was uh, easy to read. I didn't know what Presbyterian meant or Episcopalian. I remember <laughs> seeing those words and very confused by them. I thought they were like a virus or like, you know, you don't know what those words mean when you're looking yeah. at them. Yeah. And uh, got involved volunteering and then brought me on staff one day a week and then eventually went full time at that church, stayed there 13 years. And then that church planted the church that I'm now in leadership with others uh, in. So I'm a church planter um, 15, 15, 16 years ago now in Santa Cruz. So I've been here for almost 30 years in mm. ministry in the same town, beach pr- progressive beach town. And uh, it's about 70, 80 miles South of San Francisco where the movie lost boys was filmed. If anyone's familiar with that late eighties vampire film. Wow. Nice. That's, that's quite the story there, Dan. Now, the story of this book, I can mm-hmm. even see the inkling of that in hearing your story as you talk about how not to read the Bible. Why did you decide to write the book? Yeah, well, from my story, I mean, I said it very quickly, but if I remember what it's like looking in to Christianity and the church from the outside— and what it made me do is it always made me question things because I didn't how to I mean Christianity is becoming more the word cult is rising up more and more and more about Christians in relation to Christianity. Yeah. Oh yes. Oh yeah. If you're paying attention to this, like yes. it's especially with younger people, the word cult, uh-huh. you know, just to regular churches is is starting to be um used more. And I just know like I didn't want to be in no cult and like is it a cult? My <laughs> right. friends were actually were worried I was joining a cult, right? So well we have our own language. We have what we sometimes affectionately or not so affectionately call Christian ease and mm-hmm. and we all understand it, but from the outside it looks a little weird. Oh yeah, we believe in a dead man that came back to life um after 3 days. 
we remember him by eating his flesh and drinking his blood through the act of communion. You know, it's like, it's just like, if you just back out and start looking at it, if you've never heard it before and you're not used to the lingo, it is very bizarre looking in. And I think this is what we see as we look at a post-Christian culture and the older folks in our church, people who maybe even my age and a little bit older, uh, look at that and, and don't understand necessarily why kids are looking at it this way, because we grew up with these Bible stories and they're totally not familiar with them at all. I mean, even who Adam and Eve are. And that's it. That's exactly it. Uh, this book ended up being written because... In the church itself, okay, there's there's two parts. I think a lot of churches, in good effort to reach, try to reach people, and um, you know, and talk about Jesus, we we turned the Bible into, I don't want to say um, mainly focused on the nice stories, the ones that help us in life the most. Um, you know, of course, you want to focus on the good things and about you know the gospel. Jesus died for you, rose again, uh, you're forgiven. Most atheists are wonderful, beautiful, kind, loving people that just leave Christians mm. alone, right? Like, that's most atheists. Right. There's a few that are atheist activists, and they're the ones that build websites and uh, are very active in trying to point out things in the Bible. Because now of the Internet, there are all of the not-so-nice Bible stories that are being pointed to. And, and using memes, very clever memes, and that's why in the book I, it's filled with yep. a lot of the visual examples of taking Bible verses, you know, that are pulled out and things like, you know, women be silent in the church. You, you know, you should not speak. Uh, and that you look at that verse, you know, only go home and ask your husband's questions afterwards. Like you pull that verse out, put it on a meme straight from the Bible with a woman's face that's taped over. And you're like, that is in the Bible. And looking at it like that, it's kind of shocking. Or slaves, obey your masters. This isn't talking about Old Testament. These are verses in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So you put that verse up, you know, by itself with a horrible graphic. And like, oh, so Christians, the Bible believes that slavery is a good thing. You know, you can, uh, God kill, ordering the killing. Bible verses where it's, you know, 1 Samuel 15, very clearly saying, go and kill women, children, infants. And this is God saying this. So these verses are coming up and they're being put online. You type it on Pinterest, you know, Facebook, there's web, uh, Instagram, there are people renting billboards and it's confusing Younger Christians and older ones, but are saying, I didn't never thought about these verses. I might not have even ever heard them talked about. And it's causing a lot of confusion. And even some younger Christians are using it as part of their deconstruction. Like, well, I really can't believe in this thing. And so I wrote this book to address those very verses that are being pointed out today. Now, I noticed in the book, I I thought it was awesome how you addressed the book. It seemed like primarily to people who either may not be followers of Jesus or maybe just nominal Christians. And you're kind of like, all right, here's the things you may be seeing online, but here's the reasons why not all of that is accurate. But what about the committed Christians who do know the Bible well? Like, why should they pick up your book? Yeah, well, this is what I would want to ask. I was with an elder board of a very large church recently, about a year recently, probably a year and a half ago, and uh, 
and I started asking them some of these questions, they're all just looking at me. They didn't know how to answer because I do think when you're saying like Christians that know their Bible, I'm like, all right, can you give me an answer intelligently? Except, you know, that will say like, did God really order the killing of infants? How would you respond that in an intelligent way? What does it mean when it says women be silent and go home and ask your husband's questions? Don't speak up in the church. It is a disgrace for you to speak in the church. How do you answer that one? Like when you start posing these questions, often mature Christians will don't know quite how to answer them. So what do you say about the teaching that's out there? I won't name names, but there's a big teaching now in the last, I'd say last year or two, that basically says, we don't have to answer those questions. We just say, well, the resurrection's true, so none of that other stuff matters. It does matter, it, because uh, Jesus, because then you can say if Jesus, which he did, believed in the Old Testament, then you got to say, then so did he believe in God the Father killing infants? Was there mm-hmm. reasons for it? Was he, yeah. is genocide true? Is slavery, you know, did, was he really, you know, did he, was there a talking snake like in the Jungle Book? You know, and so for Christians, this <laughs> is like, you know, for church leaders, this is the fun part. These questions are there, mm-hmm. and uh, they're coming up more frequently with younger generations, uh, yes. even though there's a lot of older ones that are asking. And so it's really important to proactively teach younger people how to respond to these. Yes. And so I wrote this book both for Christian, but I also wrote it if a non-Christian's reading it, they won't feel like they're demeaned or they're the bad ones or something. But it is for those to say, like, how do you answer some of these? So we can start educating Christians some basic Bible study principles of how to look at these verses and, and address these issues so they're not caught off guard later when they come. Is that, part of, is that part of what we're missing as uh, church leaders is training people to study the Bible in a proper way? Yeah, I mean, I, I could uh, speak about this for years and years, but I think I think what's happening, not all churches, there are some like streams of churches that are kind of like the hardcore, usually more conservative, like super conservative ones. That right. they, they're doing this all along. But then there's the rest of us that are, you know, um, it, you know, 100% uh, believe in the inerrancy, inspiration of scripture, Christians in, in there. Um, and we, and we, and I think we have not overall done the greatest job in addressing how does someone study Bible, study the Bible on their own. We've made it very convenient for people because we want to teach well. We focus on a lot on the life application. We've taught people to just say, like, how does this apply to my life is the first question, rather than what was it written, what was God saying to the original mm-hmm. um, you know, recipient of, of what was being written. So I think by accident, you know, in many ways, we've kind of set ourselves up for this, and that's why younger generations are getting caught off guard, and you're seeing this deconstruction happen because most of them are not theologically trained in the basics of the Scriptures. So as they're seeing all of this, and it's just causing, well, all right, I want to conform more to culture. That's more reasons to reject reject the Bible. And this is true, okay? there. I, actually, I wrote about this one, this particular story, because it was so haunting. A young guy was involved in his youth group uh, worship team in a good church. He loved his church, had good parents. And then he went to the university here locally, got in a study in Exodus in a campus ministry. And then he started saying, I didn't realize, you know, why did God kill we are in horror to hear that Herod killed the, you know, the two years old and under in Bethlehem. 
But mm. then I just read that God killed the firstborn of the Egyptians. Why is it okay for God to kill these little kids? And then Herod, it's horrible. And then he started seeing slavery verses. And then, you know, a dad selling his daughter into slavery in the book of Exodus. And, and he's just started having an unfolding of what the heck. And then he typed this in online to look. And he found a website. It's still there, evilbible.com. And all of that stuff's up on the website. And here's the saddest part. He went to his mom and dad, and he said, um, hey, mom, like, how do you explain this? And they didn't know how to answer it. They're like, that's in there? Like, mm. right, Christians, they just were like, oh, is that? And he, and he said he was so, like, my parents don't really know what they believe. Like, they don't mm. even know this is in there. Then he went to his youth pastor and he kind of and he got something like, well, well, I don't know how to answer that, but we'll find out in heaven one day. Mm. And he started having this feeling of like they don't even know what they really believe. And he loved his church, good experience. And then he started seeking things out more right during your time of questioning, which is going to happen. And in his case, sadly, he ended up becoming atheist and rejecting uh, mm. his faith because he said he wasn't getting answers. I, I, I came in way later in his um, story. An university leader asked me to meet with him. He's a smart guy. I still hope he will come back to faith because the story's not over. Yeah, and I think that's right. an important thing to recognize as well, is that uh, a book like this can help to address the questions because these people who are questioning, their stories are not over. But we have to be resourced to be able to understand, number one, how to answer these questions. How, how has this been received from the church and then from non-believers, your book? I'm really um, concerned about the church and younger people uh, because we've figured out how to do, I mean, parking lots and, and lights and music and, and, and stuff. But, man, I think we have to, I think theology is the new outreach and I mean this so sincerely. Um, I bought two cases of the book for myself to give out to anybody who can't afford a book. Like I mm. want anyone to have this. So if anyone, you can go on my website, send me an email. I'll send you one if you can't awesome. afford one. The fun part is I wrote this in six parts. So a church or a youth group can teach through it in six weeks, small groups. You know, each part is distinct. You know, one part about science, the, the verses about science in the Bible. One, one part about women, the crazy sounding uh, ones that sound like uh, demeaning women verses. So each, there's six mm -hmm. parts. And then it's written to um, go through. But Zondervan, the publisher, is making like little videos for free. Uh, some study helps. So it's made to try to train people. And that's my heart in it, is that church leaders. And if you're a youth group leader, or even in church, you put one of these memes up on the screen and just say, like, you know, how do you answer that? It's like, everyone's going to like, how do you answer it? Like, that's the fun part, is that theology is fun. And you confront them yes. with some of these, and then you guide them. There are answers. And that's what I'd be encouraging churches to do. And if they, and this book hopefully is a resource to do that. So one of my side gigs, I did three semesters of teaching a class that was basically a theology overview. It covered like eight of the 10 major ologies for uh, freshmen and sophomores coming into a, a ministry training school at higher ed level. And I noticed that back when I went to Bible college, now the students coming into a ministry training school, they're coming in with exactly what you've been talking about, such a lack 
of biblical grounding, like a lot of the stuff that I'm teaching them, they are hearing for the very first time, a lot of them. And I was blown away by that. And even in our last podcast uh, episode, we were talking about how the future of the church belongs to churches that train their core, churches that train, churches that build up the body. And so I think, you know, when, when you're talking about reaching culture, right? Like, what do you believe is, are some of the best ways we can train believers to be effective representatives of Jesus? Because this is a huge issue, I know, in our circles. How do we reach people far from God effectively and represent Jesus well? Right. Well, okay. Foremost is, you know, being a loving representative of a kind person following Jesus. So our life, how we enter, relate with people. Our life represents Jesus, and it should be in an attractive way to people. Like foremost, that's number one. But here's what I also think. I think we also can use that as a cop-out, and especially in today's world. What I mean by that, um, I used to say this verse all the time, uh, or I'm sorry, not a verse, a saying, and I found out it wasn't even true, and it was St. Francis saying, like, mm-hmm. you know, preach the gospel mm-hmm. wherever you go, and use yep. words when necessary. Right. Remember that? Like, yes. Like, I wrote, like, you know, 20, whatever, 18 years ago, I used to say it a lot. And then I realized that he probably didn't say it. There's never like a, you know, a thing. Yeah. But I started thinking that like, you read the book of Acts, they did, they did, they used words all the time. Yes. Um, in fact, when you look at St. Francis's life, he actually preached too. So <laughs> I think then what happens is we can be kind and loving. And even if you're out helping the poor and doing local acts of compassion, atheists do those things as well. We have a mission about proclaiming Jesus and who he is and the mm-hmm. resurrection and the gospel. You need words to say that. And yeah. and here's what I know. You know, the, the, the classic apologetic verse, you know, be ready to answer when somebody asks you for the reason that the hope that you have. The, the point in there that's important is who asks you. We need to be positioning ourselves in a way where someone finally says, like, what do you believe? Or I know you're a Christian. Like, what do you believe about this? that is when we need to be trained and ready to start responding. And just yeah. saying, and, I love yeah. you, is not enough. Right, because atheists do that, Buddhists do it, right. you know, Hindus, Muslims. I mean, there's, it's different love than what Jesus does. But caring for the poor is, I think I heard N.T. Wright say this once, that um, I think he said something like, caring for the poor is applauded by the world. Mm-hmm. Speaking about the cross is an enemy of the world, something like that. Yes. You yeah. Know? Because every the world applauds us when we do other stuff. And J.D. Greer has a great quote about the line that you're talking about, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Yeah. J.D. Greer's back, uh, comeback to that is, that's kind of like saying, give me your cell phone number and if necessary, use digits. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, right, right cell phone right. number is digits. The gospel is use both words. actions and communication it's like a railroad track, and if you miss one of the railroad tracks, the train's the train's crashing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I, mean, I do think people want to ask questions today. That's the great news. Like I think that's why I kind of been saying, you know, theology's the new outreach sort of mm. because I, you know, I think if you're in relationship, you know, in churches and in Pennsylvania, you know, if people know you're Christian and you're a kind person and you care about them eventually, you know, they'll say, if you want to invite them into your, you know, a Christmas Eve or just in friendships, like, what do you believe about this? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, not, don't have to be theologians, like um, academic theologians, but at least 
equipped enough to be responding to some of the bigger questions that likely will come up. So I do think training is really important um, and just not even for outreach, but for their own lives, mm-hmm. you know, to know God. And how do you, re- how, yeah. um, are you worshiping a God that endorses slavery and hates women, you know, or yeah. not? How do you, how do you, how do how you, do you answer that? Verse? Yeah. Now for pastors that are in the ministry right now, they're on the front lines, they're dealing with this, they're seeing kids, teens come into their church or even adults that are asking these questions. What can you say to encourage them uh, as to how they address this and how they work through this? I was a youth pastor for many years with a couple hundred high schoolers, then you know, then young adults, and then planted a church. And mm-hmm. I still serve in young adult ministry. I'll be in the lead role of the church, but I kind of sort of volunteer as a group leader in young adult ministry to never lose touch. Awesome. And um, and it's just always always be asking questions of them, you know, just like uh, doing surveys. What what are their big questions like? We know that we want to be teaching certain things, but how do we know we're not teaching things that only we think about? What are their questions? I would serve. I mean, I surveyed. It was close to two thousand college age. Like, what are your bit your top three questions that you have about the Bible? Then I had them flip over to the other three by five uh, side of the card. And what are the questions that your friends have about that you think about faith or the Bible? And what's interesting is not out of that. It was close to, I think, 2,000 cards. Not one said, is the resurrection true, mm. right? Which is the crux of our faith. Right. But they're all asking, you know, slavery, pain and suffering, and those type of questions, uh, you know. So if I'm in a church, I'd be getting them to ask, what kind of things do you want to learn about? And then set it up. Always be asking questions so you know what they're going through. Don't be afraid of the questions. No, right? They're, they're answers. We have full confidence in our faith and and the scriptures. There are things that are very difficult to answer, but there's reasonable answers for sure. One of the things I've discovered as I've asked questions is the biggest one that keeps coming up, at least out here, is what about the LGBTQ movement? What about LGBTQ people? Um, I noticed in your book that didn't come up. Are you planning on writing like an entire book about it? Or (laughs) is that something I... I I don't know. Like After reading this book, I think you should. Are you planting a a seed there, Dan? I'm planting a seed right now because I think it's so crucial because of a lot of what you're talking about in this book. I think so many people are rejecting Christianity because, you know, we're anti, I mean, um, Kinnaman's book, uh, Unchristian was written uh, 11 years ago, but it's still really, really true. Like we're anti-homosexual, we're anti-LGBTQ. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, right when Dave's book came out, I wrote, they like Jesus, but not the church. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole section on that topic. Actually, you know, that it predates the language because that was before LGBTQ language was in place. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it was interviewing, um, you know, a gay woman, friend of mine, and then someone else. We're still friends. We're still keeping touch. What Mm -hmm. are the impressions they have of church and Christians? That book was not about, like, the scriptural. That was more like um, people impressions. How are Christians coming across in, in there? And judgmentalism and all those things are part of it, but it was it was covered and I did cover it there. And this one I didn't. I it's I was hitting more of the big um, kind of like Bible verses being taken out of context and then used against Christians. Yeah. And so I didn't address it in this book. The well, principles are there. Yeah, principles they are. are there. 
The principles and, are there, but if you have some extra time, I think you should. Uh, a guy named Preston Sprinkle out of Idaho is doing some really good work in and in, in putting some writings out on, on this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember what else. You know, Kevin DeYoung uh, from mm-hmm. Gospel Coalition's got a, yeah. a small book. It's like mm-hmm. really dense, but a lot of material, study material in that book. Yeah, I just listened to uh, Gay Girl, Good God by Jackie Hill Perry. Yeah, that totally. Yes, yes, yes. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. And Rosaria Butterfield, of course, has written an excellent book. Well, as we've uh, talked, I've heard your heart for ministry. How can we pray for you, and how can our listeners get in touch with you if they would like to? Yeah, uh, getting in touch with me is my name, Dan Kimball, K-I-M-B-A-L-L dot com. And uh, we're going to be putting up the resources for the book on that website for free, the videos and that kind of stuff. They're, anim- they're cool animated videos, sort of Bible Project-like. Do you know Bible Project? Mm-hmm. I do an event in San Jose every past seven or eight years, a theology event. This is the encouraging part, and it sells out with... Uh, like seven, eight hundred young people coming to this event to learn theology. It, it's it's something that's attractive if you're posing the questions and doing it not in an arrogant sort of attack manner, like those atheists or things yeah. like you know. And Tim actually spoke at five five of the seven of them or something. But the Bible Good. Project is an excellent resource uh, yes. to use and go to and show in your church and youth. That's what gives me hope. Is I do think. When I keep saying theology is the new outreach, I just think we're hitting a different time period. We have to just be a little more thoughtful, theologically teaching today. And not just, we all need felt need helps. I need, I'm depressed. I need encouragement from scripture. My, my mom just died. I need, I need to know God loves me. I know, you know, like, so of course those things mm-hmm. are there, but we also have to be more thoughtful about what do we believe and, and why, and how do you respond to these things? Um, so anyway, so back to that, dankimble.com. My, my, you can contact me by email that way. Well, I know that we could continue this conversation for a long time. I know that there's a lot more in that head of yours, Dan, that would be very interesting to our listeners. But you also have the resources that are already out there, the book, and then a lot more coming. And so I would encourage you to check out the website, dankimble.com. Of course, all the information will be found in the show notes. Thank you again, Dan, for taking the time to be with us. Yes, thanks, Dan. Yeah, and thank you. You mentioned about praying for me. It's like... Just like it would be for you, we are. I'm in a thick, progressive, uh, probably less than 10% part of any church's town, and uh, even somewhat hostile to conservative Christianity, I'd say, in, in mm-hmm. certain pockets. You know, so uh, we're all in this together. That's mm-hmm. why I love what you're doing there, and I'm so thankful for you. Is how do we serve the Lord faithfully, not being conformed by culture? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we winsomely, you know? Talk about Jesus intelligently and articulately in a in a culture that is more suspicious of church than ever before, and yes. and be bold about the eternal saving truth of who Jesus is. Mm. And and I'm so thankful for you guys in Pennsylvania doing that. Keep going, you know, uh, and be desperately prayerful. And, uh, and so thank you for the ministry that you have there. Amen. Well, thank you so much again, Dan. And I think that scripture verse that you mentioned there about uh, being not conformed to this world, but transformed. And then it goes on to say, by the renewing of your mind. And that is basically right. what this book is, is you're talking about the thoughtful process, not just the heart need, which is the initial, but then moving on beyond that and uh, continuing 
as we do here in the Northeast, to make dense in the darkness, helping to lead and launch healthy churches in Northeast America.